Yo, 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 what's up, everybody? This is your boy, Isaac. And this is your boy, Bryce. And we are Brothers on Tennis. And folks, we are bringing to you tonight a fun, fun, fun episode. This is going to be good, you guys. Man, I'm telling you, if you had any enjoyment out of our top five from last week in regards to siblings, trust me, trust me when I tell you, you will love this one. This one is all about the rivalries, baby. Oh, yes. Bryce, what you got, man? What What about these rivalries, man? I'll tell you what. I Before we started, you know, recording tonight, yeah. um, I actually was getting kind of excited. Uh, <laughs> because, because this, I mean, this is what you live for. Right. In right. tennis, right? The, yep. the rivalries. Your, your favorite player playing against their rival. That's and, right. And the back and forth and, and you know, I enjoy, and I, I know you do too, Isaac. I mean, we enjoy watching tennis anyway. Absolutely. But, when, but what the rivalries do for you is it really gets you emotionally invested. Right. Absolutely. And so that's the way I feel for this episode. So I'm thinking <laughs> it's going to be a good one. I think you might be right, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, Bryce, before we get into that, I know that um, we've been we've got a little bit of a of, 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 of a little event or promotion going on. Do you want to kind of share with our listeners a little bit about what the, you know what we got out there? Because we got a little some some out there, a little some some. Telling you folks, you you want what we got out there. I'm just trying to tell you, you do want it. Yeah, thanks, Isaac. Um, it's kind of funny because and and Isaac, you know. Uh, Something about our merchandise, people just love. Right. I guess it's the the logo and maybe how clean it looks or whatever. And uh, for all of you listeners, we will eventually <laughs> launch on our website um, our merchandise, and you'll have an opportunity to purchase it from there. I think we're planning on trying to launch that around the time the tour starts back again. Right. Um, right. The players start back. Yeah. But until then. What we're going to do is we're having a little tease here. We're going to do a few giveaways. And right now, we're in the middle of our first giveaway, and that is one of our Brothers on Tennis baseball caps. You can go out there on Instagram and look at our page, and you can see a couple of photos of the hat. Now, you may ask, how can I get one of these hats? How do I enter <laughs> how do the I do uh, giveaway? Yes. Exactly. It's really, really simple. All you have to do is have one of your friends, a family member, an associate, a co-worker, we really don't care, have them. <laughs> right? Exactly. We don't care. Do we, do we no. care what the relationship is? No. no we don't care what at it all. is. <laughs> have them go out on Instagram and follow Brothers on Tennis. After they've done that, have them send us a direct message, slip into our DM, mm-hmm. and give us your username. We will then enter both you and that person in the drawing and then we will have a drawing and we will be giving away one of our hats and actually we have several hats so we'll probably do this a couple of times so you'll have a couple of different chances to win but i'm telling you you're going to be one of the first people you're going to really want to be one of the first people to get one of these brothers on tennis hats you do i'm trying to tell you folks it's a collector's item <laughs> so folk get on out there let's uh let's let's you know let's play let's do it yeah so bryce i know that there is some news we've got a couple things in the in the world of tennis that has uh come out and uh, i know that you've got a little bit of information on that so uh why don't you uh share that with our listeners as well okay um so it's kind of interesting during this whole Rona uh, time period. Um, we don't have a lot of information to share, so it's interesting with each episode to just have one or two nuggets of things to share with you. So um, I have two items uh, today, and the first one is Vanya King, uh, American tennis player. I'm sure many of you are aware of her. She had plans this year to retire at the Charleston, uh, Charleston, South Carolina tournament. I think it's the Volvo mm-hmm. Open. Okay. And um, that was going to be her last match. She was going to play with her longtime partner, uh, Shadova, there. And um, as we all know, as a result of the Rona, yep. uh, that tournament got canceled. So 
Vanya King has, in effect, retired. So I just wanted to just quickly mention a few of her stats. Um, she had a career high ranking of 50 in singles. Mm -hmm. She uh, earned one title. She, but she had a career high ranking of number three in doubles. Nice. Uh, she was a very good doubles player, and she racked up 15 titles, two of which were Grand Slam titles. She won Wimbledon and the U.S. Open with Shadova. Okay. And um, she grew up originally in Long Beach, California, but she was very clear about one thing. When she retired, she was going to move to Australia. Wow. Yeah, so about three years ago, she was granted um, an Australian permanent residence visa. And so, according to her right now, the only thing that's holding up her move is what? The Rona. Rona. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so congratulations, you know, on a, on a great career, Vanya. And uh, anytime you can walk away from your career with some Grand Slam title hardware, mm -hmm. uh, that's a, a good thing. And, and good luck in Australia. I can completely understand why you would want to live there <laughs> oh yeah australia is yeah yeah we were over there 2017 any thoughts memories you have about vanya king I've... well bryce you know we always jokingly talked about vanya king and i had I always kind of you know threw, 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 threw some shade at her a little bit i can't remember why now <laughs> <laughs> i actually have a feeling it has to do with the anthem because i know vanya king sings and I'm pretty sure she sang the anthem. And likely similar to the Bryan Brothers, she probably bumped me out of a spot or something like that. And I was trying to sing the anthem. Um, but overall, regardless of that, she's you know an American player. She did her thing. So regardless, congratulations, Vanya King. You know, uh, good on you. And good on you, Mike, since you're going to be going over to Australia. <laughs> get you some and Vegemite. That's right. Get your Vegemite. Yeah, you can have all the Vegemite you want. <laughs> Because, folks, mm -mm, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> no, Isaac and Vegemite, mm -mm, no, yeah. that's all right. That's yeah. all right. You yeah, I was it. not impressed. Mm -mm, no, sorry. But, Vanya, good, good luck. Good, good luck and good job. Yeah. So, the second item I had, and I'm now this I'm really excited about. Okay. Um, we got word out of Paris that they have finally completed the retractable roof at Roland Garros. Hey, all right. That is awesome. It's only on one court. It's on the main court. It's on uh, Philippe Chatrier. Okay. And um, what this does for us now as tennis fans is this now guarantees that at every major, there is at least one court that has a roof. Right. And what that means for us fans is that there should never be a day. Mm-hmm where weather completely halts play right. for the day. Right. We should at least be able to get the featured matches through. And I'm gonna tell you something else. What's even better about the roof uh, at the French Open than the other, than some of the other tournaments. Okay. Well, I guess it was true for Wimbledon as well. It's funny that Paris is called the City of Lights because the French Open didn't have any lights. <laughs> right. <laughs> but now that they have a roof, there has to be lights on you, that court. Yeah, exactly. They, they, they're not going to close the roof and play in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> right? You know, uh, I guess unless the roof is glass and they expect for light to come through there. But um, <laughs> So I'm excited because now this does this mean that we will now have night matches? I, it'd be nice, man, because it'd be nice to see a night match on play. I, I personally think that would be pretty cool, but you just never know. Right. So anyway, uh, it looks like they would have met the deadline of, 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 of the French Open for this year if it had moved. But mm -hmm. uh, like you were saying to me earlier, Isaac, it may really come in very useful uh, if the French Open happens at the end of September because they may have much more inclement weather exactly. uh, during that time of the year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, who knows what... I mean, because, yeah, I mean, we typically play the French in, you know, May, end of May, early June. So to kick that all the way into September, who, yeah, who knows what the weather system will look like. So I have a feeling they will they, they will be utilizing that that uh, that roof. I think so. <laughs> right. So great news for everybody with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Well, Bryce, it's time. It's time. <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited, man. Because you know, it's because it, to me, that's really what tennis is all about. I mean, yeah, we watch it for the enjoyment and we play it. We, you know, we like to play and all that other fun stuff. But you have to admit, folks, when you have a good rivalry, Man, oh man, there ain't nothing better than to watch tennis where you see two people on the other side of the net that are just like, you know what, we we about to get after it. And uh, that's just an awesome, awesome thing. So, yeah, I'm pretty excited, Bryce. How about you, brother? Well, I want to remind the listeners that this list is our five favorite rivalries. That's right. We're not trying to stand out there and be out in these streets talking about (laughs) this these are the five best rivalries of all time. And then I got one of you in our inbox talking about how could you not have this one in the top five because <laughs> of this stat and that stat. It wasn't in the top five because it wasn't one of our favorites. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's it. <laughs> and so if you want that rivalry in a top five, then you do your own top five. <laughs> there you go. Send it right. to us. Hey, we might <laughs> announce it. We might come on and be like, well, such and such said this was their top five. But, exactly. you know, you, you can't do that. It's all good. But understand, <laughs> this is our favorites list. So that just right. put it in context. And, and, and just to be fair, we are going to start this off by acknowledging three rivalries that may have made your list, mm-hmm. but didn't make ours. But we're going to acknowledge, we're going to acknowledge they were close. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they deserve, there's a reason or there are some reasons why they deserve consideration. Right. But we'll be very clear, they're not in the top five. Because Isaac, as I'm looking at the top five right now, that's the right top five. <laughs> I think that's the right top five, personally. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm just saying, I think it is. But there you go. All right. <laughs> so, let's go ahead and jump into the first of the honorable mentions. And that one is Novak Djokovic against Rafael Nadal. Yes, sir. Now, in this rivalry, this one is very significant because, first of all, they've played 55 times. 55. Yes, sir. Now, isn't that a recognized? I don't think, no, I don't think there have been two males right. that have males. played. 55 times. Correct. That's correct. Yep. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. And so currently, since they're both playing still. Yeah, 55 and counting. Yep. Keep going. Exactly. (laughs) Djokovic leads 29 to 26. Mm -hmm. And so, once again, there are a couple of reasons why we're giving it an honorable mention. Number one, you have 55 meetings. That's great in itself. Yes. Number two, this, for me, Isaac, this rivalry is really about a series of streaks. Right. Um, Nadal won five in a row at one time, starting, what, in 2008 when he won at the Beijing Olympics. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a Davis Cup matchup, and then he won that kind of stretch of the clay court master series with Madrid and Monte Carlo and Rome. So right. he, he won those five matchups in a row yep but they were all on clay as correct (laughs) now to counter that there have been two times in the history of this rivalry that novak djokovic has won seven in a row (laughs) so insane (laughs) look they met six times in 2011 Mm-hmm. Djokovic won all of those, and then he met him in the Australian Open in 2012 and beat him there. Yep. So that was seven in a row. Mm-hmm. And then we all remember that year that Djokovic had in 2015 Ooh. going to. Yeah. Good he, Lord. 2015 to early, I think, 2016, yeah. he beat he, Nadal again seven clowned. times in a row. He, he clowned. It was, oh, yes. <laughs> uh-huh. Crazy, man. Yeah. So. You know, what are your feelings about this uh, this rivalry? I mean, it, Bryce, it's a great rivalry. And I know that a lot of folks are, are probably like, how on earth can't that be in your top five? Here's here's kind of the reason that Bryce and I came 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 to conclusion on. This is it, this is a great rivalry. 
the one thing though that you want to always see in a rivalry is contrasting styles Mm -hmm. and that's where we are feeling like there's just not enough of that in this particular rivalry it's good it's always suspenseful it's always good don't get us wrong but in this one it's 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 like you got a baseliner against a baseliner and yes you've got you know rafa with all his top spin and djokovic with his turn return of serves and I mean, it, it, it makes for good, you know, a good battle, but I just feel like our top five are just a little bit more in regards to the overall contrast and just the level of drama between them. I mean, you know, Rafa and, and Novak, they're pretty good pals and, you know, they, you know, so it, it, it lacks a little bit in, in what I consider to be some of those special areas. Um, so while it is a great rivalry, I still feel like the five that we will introduce to you all are, are just a little bit better. Bryce, do you have any comments to say on it? No, I completely agree with what you're saying. And, and just to put all of that into layman's terms, their, their matchups to me are kind of boring. Mm. And I know there's been more than one occasion that I got up in the middle of their matches and matches and went up and started making some pancakes. <laughs> I, I mean, it just, I mean, there are two, there are two players that are currently in this whole goat, goat race, right? right Greatest right. of all time, right. you know, so you give them all that kind of respect. But in terms yes. of me just like sitting down on a couch and watching, uh, yeah, yeah, it it it, it does take because they have long matches too, guys. I mean, it's it's they yeah they're long, so yeah, so yeah, so like I said, we we appreciate their rivalry, but it did not make our top five. It did not. No. Now, on to our next honorable mention. Mm-hmm. Oh, this one frustrates. <laughs> this one frustrates me because it if if certain yeah. things hadn't happened, yeah. it should have been in our top five and we are talking about the rivalry that was cut very short between steffi graf and monica sellis Mm. Mm. um let me just give a few stats on this before we really dig into this and yeah uh steffi holds the lead in the rivalry 10 to 5 Mm -hmm. but there are some facts in here that that 10 to 5 is very deceiving um Monica was stabbed April the 30th, 1993, on the court by a deranged German fan whose goal was for Steffi Graf to become number one again. Mm-hmm. Mission accomplished. Right. Uh, unfortunately, that really impacted Monica's career, and her star was shining so bright. Uh, when Monica came back from the stabbing, which it, a lot of people thought she would never even play again. Right. Uh, first of all, from a physical standpoint. Secondly, from a mental standpoint. But when she came back, Steffi won four of their five meetings. Right. And, you know, to me, that kind of affected the balance of the rivalry. Um, because Monica, although she did great, I mean, she made three Grand Slam finals when she came back, winning one of them in Australia. Mm-hmm. Right. But she was not the player. And how could she be? Um, that she was before she left. So there's a little bit of an asterisk there for me with those four out of five wins. Also, before Monica was stabbed, she and Steffi had played in four Grand Slam finals. And Monica had won three of the four. Mm. So she was really kind of, you know, taking some ownership here. I mean, as a matter of fact, when she was stabbed, the rivalry was that Graf was up six to four. Right, right. So that could have gone either way. All I'm saying is I truly believe, and I know I've mentioned this on other podcasts, if if Monica had not been stabbed and her career had had remained on the trajectory that it was on, there is no way, no way, Steffi Graf would even have more Grand Slam titles than Martina and Chris at 18. Yeah, I, I, I would have to agree with you there, Bryce, because, yeah, because Steffi ended her career with 22, right? Two. right. Yeah, 22. So, and Martina and uh, Chrissy were 18, not Correct. right? Yeah, yeah, so, and you have to believe a good five, six, seven of those were probably going to be Monica's. I mean, you, right. you just have to, you have to think that. So, right. 
So yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think they would have all kind of been hovering around that 17, 18 mark um, with mm-hmm. Martina and Chrissy. I think both Monica and Steffi would have been. Um, mm-hmm. But again, it kind of kind of goes to what you were saying. We will never know, which is very, very sad. Right. Yeah. And, and, and what's really sad about it is that Steffi really had no other rival other than Monica. It wasn't like, you know, right now in, 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 on the men's game, we have the big three. Right. Okay? So it's, you know, we talked about, you know, Djokovic, and then you talk about Nadal, and then you talk about Roger, but then mm-hmm. you still got people like Ravrinka and yep. Andy Murray. There were these other people that could win right. against the big three. Nobody was winning against Steffi. Yeah, uh, the the closest person was probably Gabriella Sabatini, and and Steffi just really had her number. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. so her chief rival uh, was taken out. So mm-hmm. because because that rivalry was cut short, unfortunately, it couldn't make our top five because we we really really didn't get a chance to see it play out. Exactly. Exactly. Very sad. Yeah. Very very sad. But that takes us to our last honorable mention. And honestly, some of you might give us a little side eye on this one because (laughs) even people that don't follow tennis have heard of this rivalry. Oh, yeah. And everybody has heard about Bjorn Borg Mm -hmm. and John McEnroe. Right, right. When Isaac was just talking about an element that makes a rivalry very, very strong is the contrast in styles. You could not have more contrast in styles than you have between Bjorn Borg and John McEnroe. Right. You, you were talking about fire and ice. John <laughs> McEnroe always on the attack. Uh, Bjorn Borg, the ever cool Swede with the great ground strokes and, and the speedy feet. Um, I mean, just it, it was it was great for TV, and their rivalry ended with them being seven seven. Yep, tied up, tied up, and they each had three match winning streaks during um, their rivalry, and they never met on clay, which they didn't need to. We know how that would have gone. <laughs> <laughs> and here's another interesting fact. With the exception of the year-ending championships where they met in a round-robin, early round-robin play, Mm -hmm. they only met in the semis or finals. Amazing. Yep. Right? Yep. So, now the thing that gave John Macron a little bit of an edge here in the rivalry, even though, you know, we say it's tied 7-7, is John took three out of the four Grand Slam matchups they had. Yep. But it's interesting, the most popular Grand Slam matchup they had is the one that Borg won at, <laughs> at, Wimbledon. Yeah. at Wimbledon with that crazy tiebreaker. Yep, yep, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know. Um, Isaac, what did you think about Borg and Macron? Well, I, I, I kind of put it again in that same category, just different circumstances, as we were talking about with Monica and Steffi. Um, It was a rivalry that unfortunately didn't play itself out. Um, As many of us know, uh, Borg basically said, you know, I'm good. I'm done. I'm I'm, I'm burnt out. I'm I'm out. And it just really cut that rivalry short. And, you know, you know, to the disappointment of fans and to Johnny Mac, because even he's made several comments of saying, you know, how much he wished that he could have stayed around and played because he knew that Borg made him a better player and made him, you know, just, just, you know, buckle down more and, and just, and be better. So when that happened, unfortunately, it, it, you know, this rivalry then got cut, cut short and, you know, and honestly, folks, that's really the reason why it didn't make our top five is because it's, it just, it didn't live itself out. It didn't live to its fullest. And, and unfortunately, you know, and that's just disappointing, but it is what it is, you know? But it was yeah. a great rivalry, like you said, Bryce. Talk about contrasting styles. Oh my goodness! It's, it's yeah, two incredible players. Just yeah, yeah. I couldn't have said it better than what you said. Fire and ice, baby. Fire and ice. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I believe they were the very first tennis match I ever watched on TV. Really? I believe so. I don't know for certain because you know 
memory get kind of fuzzy back in those days. <laughs> yeah, I know, but, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I believe it it was so. Okay, gotcha. So here we go, Isaac. Now we're on to the top five. Our top five, folks. Boom, boom, boom. Beat and, the drum. <laughs> and we ain't limping in on number five. We we really aren't because. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because quietly, number five is what this podcast is really all about. <laughs> Let us be clear. Exactly. Well, uh, here's, yeah. a, here's a little hint for y'all. If you listened to our last podcast when we were talking about siblings, these siblings were our number one favorite tennis siblings. And it shouldn't be any kind of a mystery to anyone no. Number five on our list of our five favorite rivalries is Venus and Serena Williams. Exactly. And folks, I know what you're saying. I know what you already, because I know what you're saying. <laughs> you're like, well, wait a minute, Isaac. Wait a minute, Bryce. You said contrasting style. Mm-mm. Now listen, <laughs> let us make it clear for you. Ain't no way the queens are not going to make the top five, first of all. Exactly. <laughs> let us be clear about that. So you might as well get get that right. But secondly, you have to understand, folks, regardless of how kind of awkward uh, some of their earlier head to head matches were. I'm sorry. You cannot tell me those Venus and Serena matchups were not. I mean, everybody tuned in because you're just like, which sister's going to win? Which one is going to pull it out? Who's going to have the mental fortitude? I mean, come on now. To me, like I said, it never really felt great because you always wanted both of them to win and i think each of them wanted the other, other to win but it was not, a, not serena not serena. well serena yeah wanted that's to win. true that's serena true. Wanted, serena to win. wanted to win that's that's very really true <laughs> uh, you know but i mean it, it was it was a great rivalry bryce and i mean you're talking 1812 uh, for serena so mm-hmm. i mean it's not like we're talking about five and five or you know what i mean they right. met 30 times 30 mm-hmm. times. You cannot tell me that's not a great rivalry. Bryce, go on ahead. Talk, let's, let's, go on and get into it, brother. Talk, <laughs> talk to me. Well, I mean, it, it, I will argue with anybody that will not say that Venus and Serena Williams still, even to this day, is not the single biggest draw for a match out there. Mm-hmm. There, de- there definitely is no other women's match Mm-mm. that compares. And, and to me, with the men, only maybe Rafa and Roger, you know, yes. yeah. uh, compare. But when Venus and Serena, first of all, let's, let's just keep it funky, right? <laughs> when they are in the same tournament, one of the first things the commentators do Yep. If they look at where they are in their draw. Exactly. And they already start planning on when they may potentially meet. Mm-hmm. And if they actually end up meeting like they have 30 times. Yep. That is prime time, center court, sold out situation every single time. Agree. That makes it a compelling rivalry just because all of you are so interested in it. I mean, (laughs) we have never really had in tennis two siblings that were at the top of the game. You've normally had, you know, one that, you know, kind of overachieved and maybe let's just use John McEnroe. Right, right. And then his brother Patrick, who was like, eh, he's all right, you know. He's all right, you know, he did his thing. You You didn't have two sisters that were both number one in the world in singles and doubles. Right. And let's add on to that. African-Americans, you know, we don't really have a large footprint in the history of tennis. Right. So what they're doing, which is something that the Yukobians haven't even done, then it's extra special. Right, right. So, I mean, if you think about some of the things that they've done, first of all, like I said, they're the greatest tennis sibling rivalry ever. Um, The greatest tennis siblings ever. Ever, yep. Um, They have, there was that period, and I think it was in, yeah, it was, it started at the French Open in 2002. Yep. 
For four grand slams in a row, the French, Wimbledon, U.S. Open, and then the Australian Open in 2003, not only did Serena win all four of those, which we call the Serena Slam, right? she played Venus in the finals of each one of those. Mm-hmm. So, once again, when we have that conversation of how many Grand Slam titles might Venus have? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? I mean, and, and, and even when we say they made it to those four Grand Slam finals, they didn't make it in the French in 2003, but they made it right they, back again in Wimbledon. Exactly. So, what was that? Five out of the six? Exactly. <laughs> in a row. I mean, come right. on. Come on. Now, so crazy. Now, Isaac said the record is 18 to 12, and I'll be very honest with you. You know, I'm a Venus fan, so, you know, I rock Venus all day long. But I was kind of surprised with the 18 to 12 because it feels like it's a bigger gap than that. Maybe because Serena had such a dominant period. I mean, right. I know, you know, there was one point in the rivalry, you know, and I'm talking about where those Grand Slams were. Mm-hmm. Um, Serena won six times in a row. Right. But actually, to be very honest, out of their last four meetings, they're two and two. Now, I know that last one was a walkover, but hey, it counts right. in the record it's, book. It still counts. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I really don't think 18 to 12 is, is that bad. We know Venus got some wins early. Right. Um, but it just feels like... You know, if you had told me it was like twenty four to eight, I'd be like, "All right, <laughs> like all right, I got you." Right? That, that sounds about right. <laughs> I mean, that's almost the difference in the Grand Slam titles, right? Twenty three to seven. Yeah, pretty much. That's right. But yeah, there's just there's no show like the Williams show uh, in in the world of tennis, and and you had to have them there. That's exactly right, brother. Yeah, can't say enough about the Williams sisters rivalry. So, yes, folks, it is in our top five. <laughs> and, and, and I do want to add one more, one more note. And you may say, well, if they all that, then why are they number five? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> <laughs> and and we've mentioned it already a couple of times in this in this podcast. You know, a very important element and and a good rivalry is the contrast. Right. Of not only playing style, but maybe even in personality and potential mm-hmm. conflict. And they're sisters, each other's best friends. They wish, wish each other well. Uh, their styles are very similar. So that's why we put them a little lower, but they weren't going to go below five. No, not at all. There is no way that the Williams sisters would not have made our top five rivalries. Just be clear on that. Right, no. <laughs> Excellent. So, moving on to number four, and we've already talked about this rivalry. Mm-hmm. We said if there's anyone out there today that can compete with Venus and Serena, yep, it would be Roger Federer against Rafael Nadal. Absolutely. Oh, such a beautiful rivalry. <laughs> Start us off, Isaac. I mean, folks. I mean, I mean, they did a documentary on on their Wimbledon 2009 <laughs> encounter. I mean, come on, it's being one of the best matches of all time. That was 2009, wasn't it? Was it Wimbledon? Yeah, or was it 2000? No, it was 2008. I'm sorry, it's 2008. It was 2008. See, I'm getting my dates wrong. But yeah, that I mean. Just that in itself, they are, you know, talking about that as being one of the absolute greatest matches of all time, which I do not disagree with because, man, that match was incredible. And, and you know, it kind of broke my heart that Federer did lose that match. But at the same time, kudos to Rafa. Rafa was like, you know what? I got I got to get this one, bro. I got to get it. And that's what makes that rivalry so special, Bryce, is just the fact that, you know, you've got these differing styles. You've got the elegance and, and the aesthetics of Federer. And you, you got the boxer and, and just, you know, knock you out, play every point like it's my last, you know, last point of your life in the doll. I, I just, I love just that, that just just the just the differences between their styles and what they bring to the court is just so it's so awesome. And, uh, yeah. and it's, yeah, it's just incredible, man. And they have had some lockdown, drag out battles. 
And and to me, it's just it's just that that's a rivalry. That's a all these matches, every match that you that we have on there with them, and they've met what is that uh, forty times? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure I've probably seen all forty. If I haven't seen all forty, I guarantee you I've seen thirty eight of the forty. exactly you know so yeah so bryce go ahead what are your thoughts on that particular rivalry and and this is a great example of why for us nadal djokovic didn't make the top five Mm -hmm. and nadal federer did even though they have not played as many times and it's not as close right uh in their matchup because nadal has won 24 to roger 16 Mm-hmm. Now, it's, it's very interesting because let's just give some facts on this. Uh, and you hear the commentators talk about this all the time. Of Rafa's 24 wins, 14 of them are on clay. Right. And, you know, Rafa is the undisputed king of clay. And yes. so he is pretty much always going to win that matchup. I mean, as a matter of fact, they have played on clay 16 times. Uh, the doll obviously has won 14 of those. Fed does have two wins yeah, got two. on clay. Uh, mm-hmm. None of them at the French Open. But yeah. I, I do want to call out that match in 2007 at the uh, Masters in Hamburg when mm-hmm. uh, Nadal gave Federer uh, a whole biscuit in the first set. <laughs> and then yep. Federer, and Federer came back and gave him a whole biscuit and a bagel. Yes, that's right. Yes. That that match was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was he, like, not today, son. Yeah, no. he was like, I am tired of you <laughs> in this dirt, and I'm about to feed you. <laughs> exactly. My game is what in full flight, and you about to get fed. What? Exactly. <laughs> now, I will say that 24 to 16 is really an improved number in terms of a rivalry because Rafa was really getting it in. With uh, Roger. But for those of you who have not been paying attention, Roger has won seven of their last eight matchups. Exactly. Yep, that improved backhand. Yeah, well, and I probably have mentioned it on this podcast. The the one loss out of those eight was on clay. I said, Roger is not scared of Rafael Nadal on a faster surface now that he's got that backhand. That's right. That's right. He knows what to do now, finally. <laughs> right. Right. So, uh, and it's just, I mean, they're the two icons of the men's game. Right. Right exactly. now. Exactly. And, and although they're all lovey-dovey and, you know, <laughs> Fadal and all of that stuff, you can tell that once they step on the court, mm-hmm. that has to sit on the side for a little while. Oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. uh like I said, between Venus and Serena and Rafa and Roger, those are the two most compelling rivalries in the game today, still. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, still, still. If they were to play tomorrow, I think that it would be, you know, just a sellout crowd. Everybody would be watching. So, yeah, that, that rivalry is always going to be on point, for sure. All right. So, let's keep it moving. And yes, we're going to go up to number three. And I'm telling you what, these top three, <laughs> if you think I had love for four and five, these top three. Ugh. Boy, boy. <laughs> so talking about fire and ice, um, number three, I'm going to just go ahead and say it. John McEnroe versus Yvonne London. Wow. And this rivalry gave you everything you wanted. They were, most of the time, they were battling for the top spot. So they were usually the top two players. Their games couldn't have been more different. I mean, John McEnroe, the the natural net game and touch and very aggressive. And Lindell, equally as aggressive, but from the baseline. And he focused on precision and power. And the thing that really was the, the icing on this cake is they could not stand each other. <laughs> they right. could not. And, and guess what? And and, they, and neither one of them gave a damn about not liking each other. Mm-hmm. And um, their matchup, I remember watching their matches when I was growing up, man. It, watching Lindell try to peg McEnroe at the net was the <laughs> best thing ever. And, and Isaac, you always talk about me going at people at the net. 
<laughs> Where the heck do you think I got that from? I was about to say, you got that from Lindo. He was your favorite player. I, yeah, I got that. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, Lindo ended up winning that rivalry 21 to 15. Mm-hmm. Um, after Lindo lost the first two matchups, he won the next seven. Yeah. And probably the most memorable match that people have with uh, Macaron and Lindo is that Lundell had lost his first four Grand Slam finals, and so they had started to label him as a choker. Mm-hmm, yeah. And so in the 1984 French Open, Lundell was playing John McEnroe. And this was supposed to be Lundell's best chance because McEnroe, you know, clay was not his best surface. Lundell mm-hmm. was a beast on clay. And Lundell was down two sets to love. And he, I think he was even down a break in the third set. Mm. And Lindell was like, uh-uh, not today. <laughs> and he came back and won that third set 6-4 and the fourth and fifth set 7-5 each. And wow. he got that monkey off his back. And he, Lindell, I mean, his career just took off after that. He went on a tear. Yeah. Um, he just started beating everybody that needed a beating. And <laughs> he made it to eight straight U.S. Open finals. And actually, their rivalry was tied at 15. Mm-hmm. And Lundell won the last six matchups. Well, yeah, I kind of saw that. He won like nine of the last 10 of theirs. It was kind of, it, it's odd. I was trying to do my research on this, Bryce, and mm-hmm. it was interesting that Lindell kind of came in the game beating McEnroe, and then McEnroe kind of had his moment and just mm-hmm. kind of dominated, and then towards the end, Lindell was like, mm. like you said, after he won that French, it just seemed like he was like, get out the way. <laughs> well, well, in fairness, in fairness to McEnroe, uh-huh. what, what ended up happening was, you know, because McEnroe, 84-85, yeah. Oh, yeah. That he, was McEnroe's time. He, he yeah. was insane. And remember, he burned himself out. And he took, That's right. he took a six-month leave from the game. And look, yeah. I, don't, I don't care for what the reason is that you leave the game, whether you're burned out, whether it's an injury or whatever. You are never guaranteed to come back the right. way you left. That's and so true. while John McEnroe was off being in bars, playing guitar, and doing all that kind of stuff. <laughs> uh-huh. Linda was tightening up his game. Right, right. And and when John came back, he was like, I am not the Yvonne. I am not the Yvonne, you remember. <laughs> right. Come get some of this backhand. <laughs> Come get some of this. <laughs> Come get some of this yum yum. What? <laughs> right. But it was so entertaining to watch because you mm. knew they were not trying to give a single point away to the other person. Right, right. Oh, such that's awesome. That yeah, yeah. This, looking into this rivalry, Bryce, I was I was very, it, it, I was just very impressed. It's and I've seen some of their matches. Like I said, I didn't necessarily watch Lindo and McEnroe in their prime, but I've seen you know YouTube videos and everything of their matches. So I've watched them, uh, uh, you know, you know, on on tape, if you will. And man, those were. <laughs> Just some gangster matchups, dude. Oh, I used to love. I mean that that was that was my Raphael, um, Roger matchup for me mm-hmm. when I was young. Even though I didn't have love for Macron at the time, I had to kind of grow into that later. Yeah. But oh, I I would be like Yvonne, beat him, <laughs> drive him. <laughs> Now, let's move to number two, and I bet you you watched all of these matches. Oh, yes, yes. This, well, one of these two is the reason that I really got into tennis and began to love this sport, Um, and that would be Mr. Andre Agassi and Mr. Pete Sampras. Yes. Um, I mean, that, Bryce, we've talked about. That that rivalry just, I don't know, that was just, just in my eyes, just something really special about that rivalry and it, and I understand the you know the the, the differences in styles and everything and the personality I, but there was just a, there was just something extra about that rivalry that I just I just loved I, I really did I loved watching them I loved Andre standing in inside the baseline trying to take Pete's serve 
And like I said, I you know we've talked about this. Wasn't the biggest Pete Sampras fan, fan but that serve yeah. and that running forehand, oh my goodness! Right, you 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 couldn't deny it. You could not deny that. I mean, his that serve and that for especially that second serve. Yeah, Pete Pete was clutch. I mean, he he just he brought his game, and it was just always awesome to see the contrasting styles and see who could who could you know kind of be on the offensive because you know Andre's plan was always to get to Pete's backhand and you know Pete's always trying to you know fire to serve and get a good forehand in I I don't know I don't know I just for me that was just a very special matchup and 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 yeah it just it was awesome and I guess you know why I think it was so special for me is because I was just getting into tennis at that point mm-hmm. so I can't so folks just FYI Bryce has been into tennis for a very long time I didn't get into tennis until probably the mid 90s and 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 that's kind of when you know when Andre won that first French Open that uh well he won when at Wimbledon first of course but when he won the French Open that's the one where I was like oh my god this dude that that's my dude you know <laughs> and I just started watching all his matches and his matchups against Pete were just in my eyes legendary so I think that's why they meant so much to me is because I was my love for tennis was growing so much at that period and to have that rivalry and and just the you know just the differences in styles and it it just yeah I I cannot say enough about that rivalry and that's why it is absolutely one of my one of my favorites man how about you how does this one sit for you well you know Isaac I feel the same way um to me, Pete and Andre ended up being the next generation of, of Lindell and McEnroe for me. You right. know, Pete was, was McEnroe, who I couldn't stand, and Andre <laughs> was Lindell, who I loved. Right. And you're right, the contrast in styles, the contrast in personalities. And we know, I don't think they hated each other as much as, as Lindell and McEnroe did, but right. it was close. It was pretty uh, close. Yeah, they saw, didn't really you saw Pete fire that. Yeah, Pete fired that that servant Andre when they was at that charity event. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ro- Roger and Rafa sitting there like, uh, "What's going on?" I know, I know. <laughs> You're still being kids, right? And, um, but you know, this was an interesting rivalry because Pete ended up getting the edge on this rivalry, twenty to fourteen. Right. Uh, they each had four match winning streaks. Uh, Pete won both of their matchups on grass, even though, to me, one of their better matches was that 1993 five-setter they had at Wimbledon. Yeah. So it wasn't like, although Pete was kind of viewed as being invincible on grass, mm-hmm. you know, Agassiz's got a Wimbledon title, and Agassi sure knew how to play him, so um, that, you know, really helped. But right. something that we haven't talked about, which I think played, maybe the biggest role in in this rivalry not being as great as it could have been mm-hmm. is just the story of Andre's career. I mean, yeah. Pete, we know Pete came in and was A1 from day one, right? He, right. you know, he was singly focused. That's all he wanted to do. And, and I'll give it to Pete. He got every ounce of juice out of his game and talent <laughs> that he could. Completely and, agree. You know, Agassiz over here doing crystal meth, and no, no, I mean, I mean, you yeah, know, yeah, that's what he said. It's you in know? the book, yeah, right. Yep. And, and and chilling and and kicking it in Vegas and all that and all those ups and downs that Agassiz had. And remember, he he, we all watched him go from number one to number one hundred and forty-one, right, back to number one. That's right. So if Agassiz could, and this is all part of the game now. If Agassi could have been as consistent as Pete was in terms of his focus, his drive, and his attention to the game, mm-hmm. uh, I think this rivalry would have been just in, insane. And, and and thank goodness that rival, that uh, Andre did eventually get it together because, honestly, the back half of his career saved mm-hmm. his legacy. Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. Yeah, it, he got himself right. Got his got you know just yeah he got it, he got his mind right. He decided that he was going to now play tennis for himself. He found a love of the game for himself and not because you know his father pushed him into it or what have you. It was his love for the game. And and you're right. It it saved his legacy. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Very well said. So, let's go to number one and and listeners. 
when Isaac and I were first kind of evaluating the the different rivalries that for the top five, mm-hmm. we immediately was like, okay, this is number one, and then <laughs> we'll, we'll figure out where every other one falls, right? But exactly. <laughs> This is clearly number one for us. And I bet you for a lot of people, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll step out on a limb on that one. The greatest, we're supposed to say the favorite, our favorite tennis rivalry, but I'm going to say <laughs> the greatest tennis rivalry in the history of the game is Martina Navratilova against Chris Everett. Right. I mean, come on. How can you? How can it not be? Let, let, okay, we, you know, we were getting all giddy about Novak and Nadal playing 55 times. Hmm. Chris and Martina played 80 times. That's 8-0, people. 8-0. Eight eight and, then, and then, let's put a little secret sauce on it. <laughs> 40 of those matchups were in finals. Crazy. <laughs> 40. That's so ridiculous. They've met more times in finals than most people have met, period. Exactly. Now, great rivalries. We're talking yeah. great rivalries, not just regular rivalries. Great rivalries. Right. I mean, 40, <laughs> we're talking about the number of times that Federer and Nadal have played in their career. Exactly. More than how many Pete and Andre played. <laughs> well, Andre was doing the crystal meth, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's very true. <laughs> but, but now Martina, <sighs> Martina ended up winning this uh, rivalry, uh, forty-three to thirty-seven. But actually, I'm gonna say that was really good for Chris Everett to be that close, mm-hmm. because Martina remember, went on a run of where she beat everybody, including the neighbor's child. <laughs> I mean, no, no, let me tell you what. Yeah, it's, yeah. Na- 1982 <laughs> to 1984, Martina beat Chris 13 times in a row. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 13 yeah. times in a row. 13. I mean, Chris, Chris Everett won at the Australian Open in 1982 and did not mm. win again against Martina until 1985 to keep his game. Exactly. <laughs> I mean... And then I lost just... the next five out of six. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to tell you. I mean... And, and you know what? Okay, so this rivalry does have the contrasting styles, right? Yes, yes. Mar- Martina at the net all day, every day. Mm-hmm. Chris Everett, you know, the very precise ice maiden who, you know, uh, you know, was very consistent and, you know, uh, had that solid mental fortitude. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, you know, and I don't know, maybe because I was younger, I don't know if the general public knew it, but I didn't know they were as good of friends off court as they were now i know martina said during that period where she had to go in there and knock some heads around (laughs) um she said she had to kind of step back from chris a little bit because they were too close and you know you know she you know she needed a little more focus to 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 get up on chris's head but (laughs) but you know that it, it is the classic contrast of styles of two people that rode at the top of the game for an insane, really from, because uh, Chris retired in 1980. When did Zena send her out? She sent uh, her out in 1989? 80, I think it was 89. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we, we need to remember to keep that out there. Zena was the last person to beat Chris Everett at the U.S. Open. That, um, that's right. Yeah, so <laughs> when Zena showed her the door, <laughs> they had been playing against each other since what the early to mid seventies. Yeah, yeah, isn't that insane? I, decades, I mean, man, decades. Yeah, and um, I just tell you, I, I mean, you already know that I feel like Martina is the greatest uh, overall <clears throat> uh, tennis player I've ever seen, or, or I should even say tennis professional, 
that I've ever seen. Um, and I know I don't always give Chris Everett a lot of love. I mean, Chris has got some records that are insane. I mean, mm-hmm. we talk we talk a lot about Nadal being the king of clay. Chris got some clay court records that Nadal ain't touched. Yeah, yeah. And so, quietly, what didn't she win like a slam every year for 13 years or some yes. craziness like that? Yeah. So, Just, I mean, come on now. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Yeah. 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 So, so you got to give some love to Chris. She, she, you know, she may not be our quote unquote favorite, but yeah, you cannot deny her. She has done some things. And one more thing, I just listeners, if you got a free moment, if you're not paying attention at work or something, you're, you're working from home, right? Um, <laughs> if you want to go and go to the WTA site, WTAtour.com and look up the head to head matchup between Chris and Martina and specifically look at that period between 1982 and 1985. Mm-hmm. Um, make sure you don't eat before you go look <laughs> at those scores because there is so much food out there. there <laughs> Martina was feeding Chris consistently. It wasn't like some of these other robberies where it was like three sets and seven. <laughs> It's like no. oh and one, one and one, two and oh. I mean, Martina like, was getting it in. I'm right, telling like, you, I got your baked goods right here. <laughs> Navratilova Bakery, right? <laughs> I mean, my goodness, that is so ridiculous, man. She was getting it in. So, like I said, just go check that out for your entertainment, and you'll you'll see how dominant Martina was. But um, but once again, just to recap, you, you can't hate on us for this list. Our, our top five. Number five, Venus and Serena Williams. Number four, Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal. Number three, John McEnroe and Yvonne Lundell. Number two, Andre Agassi and Pete Sampras. And our number one favorite, and I say greatest, Rivalry, Martina Navratilova versus Chris Everett. There you go. There you have it, folks. That is our top five. Do you agree? Do you disagree? (laughs) And if so, why don't you let us know? Let us know. I would love, love. Yeah, don't be scared. We would love to hear your feedback. If you feel like there is a different rivalry that should have made the top five, let us know. Present your argument. We would love to hear it. And let me preempt one of your arguments. Don't come to me with no Stefan Edberg and Boris Becker because <laughs> that thing was only good for a minute. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? <laughs> Got your chest out talking about Stefan Edberg and Boris Becker. You better go on somewhere. <laughs> I know that's right. Come on, get out of here. <laughs> Well, I have to quote that Mariah Carey song. Uh-oh. You know which one I'm talking about, Isaac? I do know. <laughs> I'm going to be good and not bring that one up. No. <laughs> Why don't you? <laughs> let's, right? see how, let's see how astute our mm. listeners are. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, go out and listen to Mariah Carey. You'll know what we're talking about. <laughs> Oh, so, nice, man. Nice. Once, once again, we are really trying to provide you some entertaining mm-hmm. content while Dorona is doing his thing, and we're trying yeah. to all stay safe and stay <laughs> home. And and if you have a list, a top five favorites list that you would love to hear Isaac and I uh, do, let us know. Shoot us a message. Any of our social media, Instagram, Facebook, um, What's up on Twitter? Uh, <laughs> go go to our website, www.brothersontennis.com. B-R-U-T-H-A-S on tennis.com. Any yeah, final words, man. Isaac? No, man. I just had a lot of fun with these rivalries, man. This was this was this took me back, which makes me extremely happy. And I will say this, uh, similar to what Bryce said earlier, folks, don't forget about our giveaway. We got some merch. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> 
don't sleep on the merch. Go and get out there. Find somebody to sign up. Follow us on uh, Instagram. We'll get your name in the drawing. You do not want to miss out on a hat. I'm trying to tell you these are some nice hats, man. Yeah, they they are. You want to be the first one at your courts with them. That's right. That's preach. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Bryce? No, I, I like I enjoyed the episode just like you did. We'll have to figure out what our next one will be on, but this was good reminiscing. Uh, this was some really good tennis uh, in the past, and it just really makes me long for when the tour is going to start back up. I tell you, when tennis starts back, I'm going to be in front of the TV like what? Oh my goodness! I'm gonna be I, I'm gonna be in front of the tennis, and when I'm not in front of the TV, excuse me, not tennis. I'm gonna be in front of the TV, and when I'm not, I'm gonna be out on the courts because I go. miss playing. Oh my god, I want to swing too. the racket. I do oh. too. <laughs> I, I know uh, the way I've been eating, I'm only gonna be able to run around there for about 15 minutes. But uh, I'm gonna go ahead and get it in. <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and get it in. I know that. <laughs> so, well, listeners, thank you for listening in. Check in with us later this week. We'll have a new episode out for you. And signing out, this is your boy Bryce. And this is your boy Isaac. And we are Brothers on Tennis. Stay safe, everyone. Take care.